Welcome to Making Synapses, where we take an enthusiast deep dive into neuroscience, looking to understand how our brain works and experimenting with how to modulate it. Gyo, the topic of discussion for this episode, the glorious episode one of the brand spanking new uh, Making Synapses podcast is going to be carbohydrates and their impacts on factors of like mood, motivation, um, cognition, and all along that line. Um, We're going to be looking at this through the lens of the biochemical changes. So we're talking within the body and brain, uh, specifically talking neurotransmitters and hormones. So like your dopamine, serotonin, cortisol, uh, insulin, quite notably insulin, a lot of chat on the insulin and the like of that. So um, for the most part, the discussion will be focused on the effects in the near term, not the long term. Uh, we'll just have a few little notes on long term impacts. Uh, so near term talking how you feel today, maybe after eating a meal today or after eating a meal an hour ago or so. Uh, this isn't going to be a spot that we're talking on like keto diet, car, carnivore diet, vegetarian or any of that stuff, not jumping on a wagon or hating. Maybe we might talk about some of those at a later time. Um, just this, we're specifically talking carbohydrates very much in a uh, in more fixed molecule sort of, I have ingested this amount of carbohydrates of this type sort of context. Uh, and I do just want to start with an awesome quote that I uh, read yesterday uh, from one of my favorite um, pharmacologists and chemists. Now late, but uh, Alexander Shulgin, and it was everything I say is ten percent false because there is, are exceptions, and I just think that's a great ground rule to start off with. Episode one, um, there's always exceptions, and I'm also keen to hear when someone thinks that, for example, something I have said is false. I do these. I'm planning to do these, and are doing these on a study. The content. Um, based on research material and trustworthy journals and the such to solve or answer a specific question that I may have asked or someone has asked me or otherwise. Um, kind of like a research project then report. Anyway, back on to carbs. Uh, we'll go over simply, so in terms of our plan, we'll go over simply what carbs are in this context of uh, kind of like the categorization systems that there are four different carbohydrates, carbs, uh, and how, how you can use those categorizations in a useful way when considering how it's going to impact your mood, motivation, and like neurochemical balance and such. Um, then we'll talk on actually how your response and effects are and round off with some ways you can maybe manage your response if you maybe had a not ideal meal, what are some ways that you can do to kind of mitigate the impact if you are still going for that focus, motivation, mood sort of effects. Um, Final wrap up, be some take homes, some stuff that I do and just kind of general pointing to some resources. So with all that set up, let's dive in. Uh, First question that I think should be answered, what are carbohydrates? It's a standard thing, everyone's always talking about them. But actually, what are they? Uh, the biomolecules made up of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. They're a vital macronutrient for humans and animals. 
we do definitely need them. You can't just not eat carbs. They're necessary for energy storage, but also all sorts of functions in your body, like cell functions, making cell structures, all sorts. So even if you're eating really low carb, you'll probably find you have carbs in there or your body might be synthesizing some of its own carbs from other functions, from other foods, etc. Um, it's also another word for the word saccharide. So you'll see in terms of chemical naming, you've got a whole bunch like monosaccharide, disaccharide, polysaccharide, oligosaccharide. Um, all of those are just different names for uh, different carbohydrate structures. And so key, it's just same, same. Um, and you also have your commonly named groups, and this is where you might see in more food terms. So you've got sugars, starches, and also cellulose, um, which we'll get onto the role of cellulose later as a, um, it's an insoluble fiber. So kind of different, but still is useful to a degree. Um, but how do these different carbs affect our biochemistry uh, in regard to mental functions? So... You've got our standard terms like uh, commonly talked about uh, simple sugars and complex or complex carbohydrates. And that's often what's thrown around. That can be a good gauge on uh, how your body will respond. So for example, the simple sugars is a term for your monosaccharides and your disaccharides. So they are one carbohydrate molecule sort of thing or two kind of bound together. That means that they are much easier to digest, much faster to absorb, and you have generally a faster blood glucose spike and faster in insulin spike in response. Probably to get this out of the way at the start, insulin is a hormone that your body secretes in response to detecting glucose or certain carbohydrates in your gut, in your blood, and also like all sorts of sensors around your body. Um, the role of insulin is to help moderate your blood glucose level, so your blood sugars level, so that your brain and other body has a more consistent supply of fuel. Because your brain and body does want consistent supply. It doesn't want to be fluctuating up and down all day. Um, so that's quite a key note just to get started. Insulin is here to help manage your blood glucose level. Um, so in terms of simple sugars, the general rule of thumb is that they might cause a they're faster absorbing and so a faster insulin response, etc. Uh, the flip of that is that you might also have a harder time managing it because anytime something's going fast, it's also... Um, it's more of a juggle to handle. So then you go on to what people might call complex carbs or uh, starches. Starches is the other word for complex carbs. And that's your oligosaccharides and polysaccharides. So three or four or more. Um, that is essentially you get a lot of those in like Kumara and such like that. People like it because it's slower digesting and slower absorbing. Therefore, you have a more steady release of glucose in your bloodstream and it allows for your insulin system to respond in a more consistent manner. So that's the, I guess, the ideal carb that often people will talk about when they're like trying to eat healthy or look after their body in the long run because they view 
that steady insulin response as good for their long-term health. Everything has their moment though, and so we'll dive into that in a sec. Um, those terms are kind of useful and thrown around, but really when it gets into the specifics, each carbohydrate structure or how they are bound to other structures in foods is more specific and it can be more unique to the time. So what uh, a group of people like, so mainly dealing with the diabetes area, what they've come up with is two other ways of categorizing. So there's your uh, glycemic index and glycemic load. So the glycemic index model is, it's a way of saying this potato has this glycemic index. And it's attributing a model of potatoes respond uh, in our body in terms of blood glucose response uh, this amount of speed. Um, so here's a good example. Uh, say you have a candy bar. It might have a high glycemic index, so between 0 and 100. Maybe it's 80. That would mean that the blood glucose will go into your body fast and your insulin response will also be fast. The glycemic is a measure of your insulin response. Um, so then circling along, different foods have different glycemic indexes. General rule, you can say again, simple sugars will have a high glycemic index, so closer to 100. The high is generally considered between 70 and 100. And then some more complex carbohydrates, starches, etc., they might have a lower glycemic index. So that will be generally low is considered 55 or less. So that's things like whole oats and, you know, your more uh, slow digesting carbohydrates. Then in terms of actually working out a kind of calculable, like I have a meal in front of me, what is the response going to be? That's where the term glycemic load comes in. So glycemic load is a measure of the glycemic index multiplied by how many actual carbohydrates in there. And so that's a way of gauging, say, total quantity impact. So for example, if I have a certain amount of sugar, say like five grams of sugar, I would multiply that by the glycemic index, and that tells me how much of an actual kind of insulin load I'm putting on myself. You can actually achieve quite a high glycemic load though too, say if you ate a lot, like a large quantity of a low glycemic index, you can still achieve a rapid glucose intake and uh, insulin spike. So it's worth like quantity and the type is always important when thinking about your carbohydrate intake and glycemic loading, glycemic index, etc. Um, these are all terms, these will come more in context as we talk about next how different glycemic loads impacts uh, different systems in our body. So to dive in on first one, we'll talk about high glycemic loading. So if you have a meal that's high glycemic loading, then there's a key, like a few key processes to bear in mind. Uh, your first response, you're going to take in that carbohydrate. It's going to go through into your gut and mouth. So you actually have sensors in your mouth and gut that detect, hey, there's a whole bunch of sucrose here, a whole bunch of glucose or something like it's like, oh yeah, this is some real high energy carbs. 
And so that does trigger a quick dopamine response. That quick dopamine response isn't really, it's not going to be too valuable for a long run focus or anything like that. This is a surge that is essentially uh, reinforcing your motivation to eat more candy, more sugar, because your body likes uh, easy fuel in terms of survival. We're kind of talking in terms of uh, evolutionary sort of survival models. Your body is just programmed. It's like, oh yeah, we have easily accessible energy. Easily accessible energy wasn't always a thing that we've had historically. Uh, previously, getting accessible food or high carbohydrate food was actually much more complicated. A lot of our fruits and other foods were much more high in fiber than they are today. So you get that little motivation dopamine spike, but that's not long lasting. It's not going to be a big factor for if you're trying to keep your cognitive state and mood good for a period like a few hours. That's, that's not really an ideal situation. What will also happen though is that carbohydrate will quickly absorb into your blood and you will quickly have a insulin response. For those high glycemic loading situations, your insulin will actually kind of over-respond. It will, it will really it'll work hard and fast to clamp the issue down. What happens with that is all of the insulin will start binding to that glucose and shuttling it into, say, fatty fat cells. Um, great if you are just looking to store energy. A lot of us aren't looking to store energy, though. We're wanting to use it and stay consistent. What happens with that, you kind of get a spike curve, so glucose goes up high, insulin follows soon after. Then your glucose, blood glucose steady levels, will drop down really low because the insulin has overcompensated and it shuttled much more of the glucose into your fat cells and other areas of the body than you actually want. That results in kind of a fluctuation of energy supply. So things like your brain, they don't like the fluctuation as we talked about before. You want a nice consistent energy supply. So this is when you kind of go into what they call hyper and then hypoglycemia. So too much and too little glucose. This isn't ideal and it leads to a whole bunch of other sort of like associations. They don't know exact mechanisms on how all these come to these currently. But from reading around at the moment, like key notes is increased markers of inflammation. So that's a response to damage and oxidative stress in your body. That's not good for long-term mental function. That's talking long-term though. And it may lead to some temporary clouding of, you know, that foggy head feel. Typically that everyone knows after they've had like a whole bunch of like real carby meal, like thing of chips like you've gone down to fish and chip store or something like that uh there's also uh, a little bit of vasoconstriction that they know it's that's less blood flow going around the body body your brain is quite dependent on blood flow in terms of delivering nutrients because it has a low nutrient stores so again that will have cognitive impacts people feel less motivated less like ready to go and focus uh, it also results in an increase in cortisol. And that cortisol may also influence the dopamine system, but there's not too much linked there. But increase in cortisol being your primary, it's, it's like the widely known stress hormone. There's actually a whole 
cascade through the HPA axis. You can look at that up later. We'll probably do another episode on it. But a thing to note is that you have a whole stress response cascade that goes through your body. One of those is cortisol. And that, depending on the situation, can help you perform. So like can help with increased heart rate and like ready to go uh, body actions. But in too high amounts, it can lead to anxiety. It can also just lead to more clouding. So cortisol is something situationally we like. In this situation, you probably don't want a cortisol spike. Uh, definitely not for sitting down at the computer trying to focus on writing out um, an essay or writing it or solving a technical problem. That's not an ideal situation for high cortisol, in my opinion. Um, then you can kind of look at the other side, which is how the sudden rise of insulin will affect your blood's other amino acid profile. So in your blood, you've got essentially nutrients flowing around that you want to supply to all your muscles and cells and your brain and the like. Part of that is a whole group of amino acids. And these amino acids are the precursors or the building blocks of neurotransmitters and other key functions like cell walls, all sorts of things. These amino acids will, you might have heard of some like L-tryptophan, uh, tyrosine, things like valine, isoleucine, leucine, like there's a whole array of them. But the ones that we'll kind of focus on here are very specific to the cognitive function side. So we're going to talk tryptophan and dopamine. Um, well, tryptophan and our tyrosine. Uh, and those correlate to serotonin and dopamine. So tryptophan is the precursor to another amino acid known as 5-HTP, which you may have also seen in supplements and the like. 5-HTP is the direct precursor to serotonin. Altyrosine is the precursor to dopa, and dopa is the direct precursor to dopamine. Now, when your insulin spikes up quite high, it also shuttles out nearly all of the amino acids uh, in your blood. So it's doing the same thing as with the glucose. It's trying to like push it into your muscle and other stores. That results in a total decrease of amount there. However, a really unique function is that tryptophan seems to bind to another molecule that prevents it from being uh, sent away to your muscle stores so much. So it's kind of like any tryptophan that is bound to this molecule, it's only actually loosely bound, but it's bound enough that it doesn't get shuttled away. That is actually still circulating. So the result of having a sudden insulin push-up is actually that your ratio of tryptophan to other amino acids will dramatically increase. This means that at the blood-brain barrier, which has a very limited bandwidth, or it's kind of like a, a four-lane street, it's only, it can only allow so much amino acid through it at a time. More of those amino acids are now tryptophan than before. And the funny thing about tryptophan, again, quite unique, is that when you have higher concentrations of tryptophan in the brain, a very uh, a strong follow-on effect of creating more serotonin and releasing more serotonin. The funny thing is dopamine and many other neurotransmitters do not act like this. You can provide more supply and it will have it ready for when it's needed, but it won't necessarily release more. Not 
not to the same extent as serotonin does, but serotonin is very concentration dependent, depending on how much tryptophan and 5-HTP is available to make the serotonin and then release it. So what we get is a lesser amount of tyrosine available for your brain to uptake and use. And then it's also increasing tryptophan and therefore increasing the amount of serotonin flowing around. Serotonin is a great neurotransmitter. There's nothing, it's not like any of these are bad, but in this situation, it might not be ideal. Serotonin leads to feelings of contentness, generally like, like you feel very comfortable and uh, there's no, it's like the opposite of motivation drive. So serotonin and dopamine aren't exactly opposites, but you can think of one as a sense of contentness and the other as a sense of motivation. And what we've kind of created here is a sudden surge of motivation, but then that drops off. And then a very long duration surge of contentness and feeling comfortable and such. Comfort is good, but maybe when you're trying to get a task done, you don't want to be feel content with the fact that you haven't done the task. That's not great motivation. Um, so yeah, that is kind of your, your key loop in terms of how the neurotransmitters are responding and how you might feel after having that high glycemic load, say candy bar. All right, so now just to look on the converse of this or the other side, say you have a low glycemic response meal. So this might be, for example, a bowl of oats, um, so porridge that you've made up. That will lead to a more steady supply of uh, glucose to your bloodstream and therefore a more steady insulin response. The result of this is that there's less of that overcorrection effect and you get a more balanced, consistent flow of energy. This means that there's a less tryptophan-centric or tryptophan-focused amino acid profile in your blood. That means you get a more steady supply of all of the amino acids through to your brain. Um, those amino acid transporters are spending less of their time pumping through tryptophan and they're spending more of it on supplying other essential nutrients too. That results in a less concentration of tryptophan in the brain, and therefore not as much of that serotonin surge. So you will feel more active and less, less content and like lethargic. An interesting note on this is that serotonin does create an effect of being satiated or not as hungry. And so you will get less of a, oh cool, I, I don't want to eat anymore response. Um, this could be seen as a pro and con depending on if you struggle to eat or not eat enough. Um, but the follow with this is that we have a more steady supply of all our amino acids for a more steady supply, uh, more steady availability of building blocks for neurotransmitters. You also have a more steady supply of glucose. The brain likes its steady supply. And so then you get less markers of the, your oxidative damage that might occur during fluctuations and then less inflammation, vasoconstriction isn't a concern. And long-term cognition function is much like, there are good reports of uh, much better long-term effects. So people aren't dealing with the likes of many long-term neurodegenerative diseases like your Parkinson's and uh, basically memory functions. So overall, in terms of long-term health, the lower glycemic foods are going to do you much better. So that's cool and all. 
But then what happens in the situation where, for whatever reason, maybe it's a social reason, you've gone out to a cafe and had food with someone, you've had a higher glycemic load meal than you would want, um, or you've got, you're in a situation that you are going to have that higher glycemic meal. What you can do, actually, is pair it with a source of fiber. So fibers, soluble fibers, will actually work to uh, hamper down the insulin response. So if you pair your high insulin response food with a source of fiber, then you will get more of a response similar to a low insulin response or low glycemic response food. So that's a really cool kind of hack you can do. Say you're having something quite sweet. Maybe you want to pair in a whole bunch of uh, like soluble fibers that you might get in the case of um, starchy vegetables. Um, that might be quite useful. Also just worth noting too, on the insoluble fiber front, um, so this is the cellulose that we talked previously, that isn't really a factor in your overall insulin response. Those fibers, your plant cell walls, that's just kind of providing matter that's going through your gut. It is a valuable substrate for things like microbiome activities, uh, so bacteria activities, but it's not a factor in terms of creating uh, insulin response at all. It can actually slow down uh, insulin again because it does slow down your glucose uptake. So it's a bit of a factor, but it's uh, it's just a general slower down. It's not... Um, it's not going to trigger insulin response by itself. Now, talking maybe a little bit more real-life um, standard situation, just to bring up a great example, uh, there's a 2012 art article in Nature, which we'll link down below in the description so you can have a read of it yourself. It's publicly freely available. Uh, that actually does a comparison of cognitive performance measures on someone eating a high-glycemic load meal as compared to someone eating a high glycemic load paired with the soluble fiber. So they're actually using a white bread, and then a comparison is the white bread paired with guar gum, which is a soluble fiber. So what happened with the just white bread case is that the person, as we would expect, their blood glucose spiked, then followed the blood insulin spiked, and then the overcorrection occurred where the blood glucose went down lower than ideal and uh, it was overmitigated. When they measured them on the cognitive performance side, uh, it did result in like, less function and just less focus. They've got a whole array of tests and you can read through that on the article yourself. Um, I don't need to regurgitate that. But the key takeaway is overall less cognitive performance. The real notable point where the cognitive performance deficit or it's worse than the case with adding fiber um, was after about an hour and 15 and it extends all the way out to a good over three hours time period. So you are causing a long deficit. It's not like this is something that you're quickly jumping out of afterwards. Um, high glycemic food is going to result in notable impacts for the rest of your day. Um, in the case of the person that ate the white bread with the guar gum, so the, the soluble fiber, they had a much more moderated response. Their blood glucose never actually dipped below the original baseline. So that's like an, an ideal situation, really. It's a nice, steady supply. So they got their nutrients, but they didn't have the massive fluctuation. Much better cognitive performance. Um, 
And yeah, you can actually read that article and they talk a lot about these concepts too. And so that's a good place to reinforce some knowledge. Um, again, article link will be in the description below. So now you've got the general information of how this will perform in your body. The next step would kind of be to plan out how can I actually make an actionable plan from this. Uh, if you have a standard work day, we might be working nine to five jobs. Many folk will try to get their batch period. It's not like you're expected to have high performance or high focus throughout the whole day. But maybe your general morning time and uh, but after lunch is the time that you're trying to really get the work done. In that case, you might either choose to not consume a breakfast meal and therefore you won't have any insulin spiking uh, or you might have a low uh, glycemic index meal, say that case of bowl of oats um, or you could take directly out of the book of the article and say do some bread with some paired soluble fiber. Uh, there's plenty of choices you can read around, read your cereal boxes and stuff like that. But the key note is that first meal you do want it to be at low glycemic load and get through, just keep that steady function going along. Later on lunchtime, it might be less of a factor depending on how long you want to really be able to focus. You might be able to get away with a little bit more of a higher glycemic load because you still do kind of have like an hour window where you should have all right cognitive performance functions and you get that little motivation mood boost from something maybe tasty, um, that triggers those sugar receptors that tells your brain, oh yeah, this is a great time. I'm not making a recommendation on diet here, but this is like, there are things that you could do. Sometimes work isn't fun. You want tasty food. It's cool. Just the thing to note is that overall, after about, you know, your hour 15 window, you can expect that you're going to suffer a dip again. So that's worth your factor in considering. Then what I would usually say is like end of end of the day, it's your evening and such. Go for your life. Like you're gonna go to bed later, you're gonna be sleeping. You maybe need to catch up on some calorie intake, depending on uh, your normal calorie needs, depending on say training needs. If you're training hard, as in uh, exercising real hard, you're gonna need more carbohydrate intake. And it's also key to note the carbohydrate for sports performance or like muscular performance is really important too. So if you really want to, say, get a good training session in, generally I would say that pairing carbohydrates before that is a good idea. Um, that can be talked about in depth in another episode though. Circling on to what I personally do, uh, it varies day to day, as I feel like everyone should be. If I have a really cognitively demanding day, so I've got a lot going on, Say today, I wanted to talk on a podcast sort of thing, bring a lot of ideas to mind. Uh, I actually, so I didn't have a breakfast meal. I've fasted the whole way until my important job is done. Um, a thing to note on the fasting approach is that it, there is a body adaption period. So if you haven't done fasting before and then you're going to start to get into it, your body will initially struggle to manage that blood glucose slow delivery. Uh, I actually did a whole bunch of tests way back, uh, do 36-hour fast, taking blood glucose and blood ketone measures. And as I did a fast each week, my body's ability to moderate the blood glucose, so not crash down and then bounce back, instead just keeping nice and steady, even though I wasn't eating food, 
uh, did steadily improve. And so after I'd done about six, essentially my blood glucose didn't fluctuate at all. It stayed nice and steady, and that's coming from stored forms of energy, so glycogen in your liver. Um, and your body is processing that to keep your carbohydrate coming along. So you don't need to eat carbohydrates all the time, but you need to make sure that you always have stores available for your body because glucose is required for life. That is absolutely certain. Um, I don't want to like dismiss that. However, so I will often have a fasting approach. Uh, and then later, after my key task is done, I ease in with, say, a lower glycemic meal, get a bit more work done, and it kind of eases in the carbs. And generally in the evening, like, I've got to catch up on calories after that day. Um, I'm a person that needs to eat quite a lot to maintain calories, otherwise I start to drop weight. Uh, so in the evenings, I'll, I'll go for it. I'll have a massive meal, heaps of carbs, and I'll probably get super sleepy, but then, you know, I'm going to bed later anyway. That's cool. Um, on a not-so-peak performance normal day, I, I might have a breakfast, just kind of depending on my training. So if I'm focusing on trying to get some good training in, which I'll often do in the kind of middle of the day or afternoon or so, then I will want some good carbohydrates in there, fueling it along nice. So that's where I might have, say, oats. Oats in the morning with protein and such, but it's really just a good carbohydrate source, but still one that is doing a nice steady delivery. So focusing on steady delivery or none at all in the mornings. Um, then again, evenings, stuff like that. I'm just, I'm just focusing on total like nutrient intake. Got to make sure that you're supplying your body with energy. So if you're going to hamper down your carbohydrates in the morning, I think it's good to up it in the evening. However, there are folk, keto diet, carnivore diet, all of those sort of things. There's different viewpoints, different ways to tackle the problem. This is just how I like to tackle the problem. The end result is I often have like a low carb throughout the whole day. And then in the evenings, I'll go high carb. And that's how my body seems to perform well. Helps me sleep a lot better too. If I go really low carb consistently, then sleep is compromised. And I believe that's to do with just serotonin not being released as much and various other things. Talk about that another time. Key takeaway, I think, is adjust to your lifestyle and your goals. Think about your training. Think about how much you have to focus and when you want to focus. Think about overall life too when you like social factors. You want to hang out with your family and friends and stuff. Have some fun. You want to relax it sometimes. So overall... There is no, there shouldn't be one rule and you just follow that every day. Every day is different and has a different approach. Um, if you do want to do some more reading around or uh, get more information on this sort of stuff, A, like nutrition coaches, sports nutrition coaches, these guys often know it really intimately. I have heard repeatedly in the store from people that like having a nutrition coach was really helpful for them. Just kind of like solved all that calculation and deciding for them. They just kind of hit them up, say, hey, what can I eat today? Or look at a food and say, is this cool for me to eat? But if you want to self-manage, then it's just do your research, kind of look at your meals and you start to be able to get a good rule of thumb. There's, um, you can measure or track progress with things like MyFitnessPal is a classic. That's the Under Armour app. 
Um, but then also after a while, I think most people find that they can just kind of gauge it because they, they learn to self-measure. If you want to read up some more resources on these or say, here's a couple of podcasts recommendations if you want to do more listening. Huberman Lab has a whole podcast on food and the mood response. Key thing to note, only about 20 minutes or so of that is talking kind of carbohydrates and that whole insulin system. He kind of skims over it, but there's some good information there. The rest is more about supplements, not what I would consider food food. Um, there's also the HVMN podcast. They pronounce it human, but it's with a V instead of the U. Those guys, they're very into their keto and various manipulations of diet. They're right at the forefront of keto and uh, carnivore diets. So they've actually got a lot of information and podcasts talking to various guests, a lot of people that are really specialized in their field, talking about uh, cognitive function or sports performance with different diets. Also got a bunch of links down in the description, which will be uh, like glycemic index reference guides. So there's an Australian university that has a website which have categorized a glycemic index on a whole bunch of different foods. There's also another one which has a free calculator which you can work out your glycemic load from a specific glycemic index meal. So you've got all the tools there. You can work it out yourself. Um, and then a couple studies done in no notes, some that I've talked about like that uh, Nature article, the 2012 Nature article discussing bread, and then a couple others talking about carbohydrate response and uh, long-term brain health and dementia sort of impacts of managing uh, glucose poorly or managing it well. Um, that's it for today. If you like the approach that we're going for, feedback's awesome. Gonna try and keep it like deep dive on technical mechanisms and um, then, you know, hopefully as today, give you some actionable outcomes or ways that I see it at the least. Um, I think that's it. Hope you enjoyed first episode of Making Synapses.